Kimberly believes she contracted the deadly disease during a 1987 tooth extraction. Lying in that hospital bed, knowing, awake, not of mourners, but of revelers might follow. You've won a million dollars! I said, Mom and Dad, I've joined Jews for Jesus. They were like, we're going to kill you. How can you do this? We raised you with the Jewish faith. And I said, I'm just kidding. I'm just gay. And they went, oh, thank God. Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Lucia Chappelle. Chile adopts marriage equality ahead of tense presidential race, a poet sews a quilt for accused AIDS dentist David, and Kung Pao kosher comedy quips for the holidays. All that and more this week now that you've discovered This Way Out. I'm Marcos Najera. And I'm Tanya Kane Perry. With NewsRap. A summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending December 11th, 2021. Lesbian and gay couples will soon be legally marrying in Chile. The bill to open the civil institution to queer couples was signed by President Sebastián Piñera on December 9th after it passed in both chambers of Congress. It's taken a while. Movil is the South American country's major LGBTQ advocacy group, and it's been pushing for marriage equality since at least 2012. Less than equal civil unions have been available to gay and lesbian couples since 2015. When UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Michelle Bachelet was Chile's president, her government introduced a marriage equality bill in 2017. It languished in Congress until her conservative anti-equality successor, Piñera, unexpectedly changed his mind. He announced his support for the measure in June. The first same-gender weddings are expected to take place shortly before his term expires in March. Not a moment too soon. There's a runoff election on December 19th pitting far-right anti-queer Congressman José Antonio Cast against left-leaning former student activist Gabriel Boric in a race to replace Piñera. Cast topped all candidates in November's first round of presidential voting, with Boric finishing second. Tokyo Governor Yuriko Koiki said this week that her government would be creating a path to legally recognize same-gender couples by April of 2022. Her announcement follows a unanimous call for the action by the Metropolitan Assembly of Japan's capital city. Gay and lesbian couples would be able to share and rent homes together and have mutual hospital visitation rights under the limited partnership plan. Tokyo is not the first to make this move. More than a hundred other municipal governments have already done so, but it will make Tokyo the largest jurisdiction in Japan to extend some type of recognition to same-gender couples. When Tokyo begins to issue recognition certificates, about half the country's gay and lesbian couples will be living in areas that at least symbolically recognize their unions, according to Bloomberg News. That symbolism is far from enough, according to critics of the partnership offers in Tokyo and the smaller jurisdictions. Still, Japan's conservative federal government resists calls for nationwide marriage equality, even though it's the only G7 nation without it. Some lawmakers claim that even symbolic recognition undermines Japan's traditional family system. 
New Zealand's trans citizens will be able to change the gender designation on their birth certificates without medical or legal intervention. Debate on the bill has raised the heat sometimes since its introduction in 2018. After its third reading in this legislative session, the final December 9th vote was unanimous. The bill replaces the requirement for legal and medical gender certification with a simple statutory declaration. Cisgender lesbian Green Party MP Dr. Elizabeth Karikare told her colleagues, This bill recognizes that those who need to amend their birth certificate can do so, that the courts do not have the right to make the choice for them, that parents do not have that right, that cisgender people who don't even know them or care about them do not have that right. Lawmakers will go into consultation with trans and queer organizations to determine how to implement the new rule with sensitivity to cultural issues, to figure out how minors might be included, and to be inclusive of non-binary people. The measure will take effect in about 18 months. Canada's Senate unanimously approved a bill on December 7th to ban conversion therapy nationwide. It had passed unanimously in the House on December 1st. The Governor-General of Canada quickly gave the required royal assent as the Queen's representative, according to the Washington, D.C. newspaper, The Hill. The law is expected to take effect next month. Those purporting to be conversion therapists claim the power to turn queer people straight, usually with a combination of counseling and prayer. It's a medically debunked practice that often creates even more psychological problems for its victimized patients. Bill C-4 amends Canada's criminal code, making it illegal to cause another person to undergo conversion therapy, to remove a child from Canada with the intention that the child undergo conversion therapy outside Canada, to promote or advertise conversion therapy, and to receive a financial or other material benefit from the provision of conversion therapy. It also authorizes courts to order that advertisements for conversion therapy be removed. No Conversion Canada founder Nicholas Schiavo told The Hill, Today, as we celebrate this historic moment, we must thank survivors and their tireless advocacy to reach this moment where conversion therapy is finally outlawed in our country. Canada joins a small number of other countries that have banned conversion therapy, including Brazil, Ecuador, Germany, and Malta. Lawmakers in the Australian state of Victoria have voted to protect employees of religious institutions. The measure prevents religious schools and other institutions from firing or refusing to hire any staff member based on sexual orientation or gender identity. It also prevents those schools from expelling students on that basis. The Upper House of Parliament voted 22 to 12 on December 3rd to approve the Equality Opportunity Religious Exceptions Amendment Bill. It had passed in the Lower House in November. The bill goes on to prohibit government-funded religious entities from refusing services to LGBTQ people. Religious schools and other institutions can still make employment decisions based on religious belief when it's integral to the job, such as the hiring of a religious studies teacher or school principal. State Attorney General Jacqueline Sims noted that some teachers and staff at religious schools stay closeted for fear of being sacked. They've seen their peers lose jobs elsewhere just for getting married. Sims hoped that, with these changes, all Victorians can live authentically, free of fear, and in no doubt that the law has their back too. 
As Brazil's parliament looks into President Jair Bolsonaro's handling of the coronavirus pandemic, a Supreme Court justice has ordered an investigation into his claim that COVID vaccination increases the chances of contracting AIDS. The notoriously homophobic vax denier's absurd assertion was broadcast live in October and carried by a number of social media platforms. Justice Alexandre de Moraes ordered the probe in answer to a request from the Senate committee now investigating Bolsonaro's management of the crisis. It's looking into charges that Bolsonaro committed nine specific crimes related to his widely criticized pandemic response, including crimes against humanity. Unfortunately, Brazil's prosecutor general is a Bolsonaro appointee. The court's order implies that Moraes intends to closely scrutinize the investigation as Reuters reports. That includes the justice's insistence on regularly reviewing documents showing the status of the investigation in question. Bolsonaro redefines misogynistic machismo. He's refused to get vaccinated and already survived a minor bout with COVID. His country is second only to the United States in fatalities with more than 650,000 COVID deaths. Yet as the numbers spiked in March, the president told Brazilians to stop whining about the pandemic. Even in the face of the investigations, Bolsonaro, of course, insists that he is guilty of absolutely nothing. Finally, U.S. Republican Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin is not phased by the nearly 800,000 COVID deaths in his country. He continues to downplay the seriousness of the pandemic. Johnson most recently advised his social media followers to gargle with a popular mouthwash to kill the virus, a prescription that would be laughable if it weren't potentially lethal. CBS TV's Late Show host Stephen Colbert was not having it. Last week, Johnson accused Anthony Fauci of overhyping COVID and claims it wasn't the first time. Fauci did the exact same thing with AIDS. He, he overhyped it. Yes, AIDS, the pandemic the federal government famously took too seriously. Well, if AIDS was overhyped, Senator Johnson, then I guess you don't have to wear protection when you go yourself. That's News Wrap. Global Queer News with Attitude for the week ending December 11th, 2021. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. And you can read the transcript and listen to NewsRap each week by subscribing to our This Way Out radio channel on YouTube. For This Way Out, I'm Marcos Najera. Stay healthy. And I'm Tanya Kane Perry. Stay safe. I don't know what to think, Eddie. This is unbelievable. Absolutely life-changing. An Aussie activist plays to win in the hot seat. But first, we continue our special series about the gay dentist who found himself in quite a different kind of hot seat during the early days of AIDS. Scientists at the National Centers for Disease Control in Atlanta today released... This book, Uncle for David, study. is about David Acker. 
who was a dentist living in a small conservative town, uh, someone came forward and claimed that their HIV infection was because of him being their dentist. And not only is it terrible, but virtually everybody who gets it dies David of it. Acker and it's never really had a fair David opportunity. had a Carposi sarcoma. Dentist, heal thyself. I'm Brian DeShazer, and this is part two of a three-part series bringing A Quilt for David, published by City Lights Books, to the radio airwaves. This new book of poetry by artist, poet, and educator Stephen Raines reveals the hidden history of a vulnerable gay man whose life and death was turned into tabloid fodder. This is A Quilt for David. A patient said you weren't talkative, but nice. You would go out of your way to save her office copies of People magazine. Eight years after your death, the weekly magazine's headline was about you. In the first of my three-part Action News Extra on AIDS anxiety, you can meet the young woman who was bravely forging ahead. I thought about ahead. everything else, and nothing else made sense. The only person that I've been exposed to that had, had AIDS uh, was the dentist. So the first accuser of David was Kimberly Bergalis, and this poem is actually about Kimberly Bergalis's father. In 1989, George Bergalis attempted to make a dental appointment and was declined was told the dentist was in the hospital. To ensure a safe sale of the business, patients were told that David had cancer. George directed the Fort Pierce Finance Department and said to his staff, you watch, the guy's probably got AIDS. David was lying in, in his hospice bed and wrote a public letter uh, stating that he found out that a patient um, believes that they received HIV through a dental transmission and he said it would go against everything he believes in and then he encouraged all of his patients to get tested to make sure that they were okay um, and so for a man to do that on his hospice bed he died three days later then the letter was published in the newspaper and Kimberly Bergalis had a high power lawyer. Kimberly believes she contracted the deadly disease during a 1987 tooth extraction. Her dentist, David Acker of Stewart, died of AIDS this past September. Your parents, Victor and Harriet, booked a hotel near the hospice, wanted to stay close to you where investigators could no longer knock unannounced. They feared at your last days, 60 pounds lost, PCP pneumonia treatment again. You were confined to bed, a urinary catheter to piss. Weeks earlier, the public health department wanted you to go public, wanted you to tell the world that you were the dentist of the allegations. You declined. Your mother brought meals, KS sores throughout your mouth, white thick candidas coated your throat and digestive tract. Lying in that hospital bed, knowing death was imminent, knowing awake, none of mourners, but of revelers might follow. You feared death, the public, and more pain. A hospital staff referred to you in a chart as this unfortunate gentleman. You know, we're all, none of us are immortal. Um, with AIDS, you're more aware of it. Yeah, there were eight accusers, and, you know, through my research, all of them had outside risk factors. I, I wasn't interested in slut-shaming anyone, 
And I also, or villainizing anyone else, that's already happened in this situation that happened to David, right? At the Dental Society's annual Christmas party, you stood alone, watched the ice cubes melt in your plastic cup. How were you to socialize with the men in the room as they talked of women and raising kids? There was your golf games, but there was also your gayness, and how that could be revealed and reviled. Others would later suspiciously say how you just stood there, wanting to be part of the crowd and not knowing how. Tune in next week to hear the conclusion of A Quilt for David by Stephen Rains. If you missed part one, visit us at thiswayout.org. For This Way Out, I'm Brian DeShazer. This Way Out is supported in part by contributions from our listeners. Some give a little each month. Some make a larger annual contribution. More information and a link to give online at thiswayout.org. I really love Christmas. I mean, I just can't get enough of the music. Can you imagine if we played our songs in the stores? Dreidel, 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 I made it out of clay. And everyone would be like, oh, they only have one song. Holiday humor follows this. Melbourne's Anthony McManus and his husband Ron Van Huelingen were at the forefront of Australia's marriage equality struggle. They've said their I do's 19 times during their three decades together, finally making it legal in January 2018. Ron, thank you for loving me and for making me the luckiest man in Australia. <laughs> McManus recently went from marriage movement hot seat to Channel 9's quiz show The Millionaire Hot Seat. He took on the big money question on November 25th. Which of these classic literary works was published first? So take me through the thinking process. I tried to put them into the order that I thought, backwards. So what was your order backwards? Les Mis, Les Miserables, then Tolstoy's War and Peace, Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities, which left the Count of Monte Cristo which I'm not even sure when it, when it was published, so I don't know. Anthony McManus. You've won a million dollars. As a gay man who had to fight the fight, and you were out the front of it, there's this moment in your life suddenly the light goes on, the sunshine comes out. You've got no idea. You've got absolutely no idea. Um, maybe it's a little reward for all we had to go through, yeah. so... Um, I don't know, I don't know what to think, Eddie. This is unbelievable. This is absolutely life-changing. So, absolutely. Anthony, we couldn't be more delighted because you played the perfect game. You used your lifeline beautifully and then you worked it through. We couldn't be more happy that Anthony McManus has just won $1 million cash right here in the Millionaire Hot Seat. McManus is just the second top prize winner in the Millionaire Hot Seat's 21-year history. Congrats to him, and thanks to This Way Out Down Under correspondent Barry McKay for giving us the winning tip. Hey everybody, this is Leah Delaria, and you are listening to This Way Out. On Christmas Eve, the Gentiles gather round the Christmas tree. 
They stay at home and party with their Goyesha family. They disappear one day each year and pass the eggnog round. But it's all right, because that's the night the Jews control the town. Where do they go? Out for Chinese food. Undaunted by the pandemic lockdown, San Francisco-based comedian Lisa Gaduldig took her annual Kung Pao Kosher comedy show from a Chinatown restaurant to cyberspace last year. She talked about taking her funny business online with Eric Jansen of Out in the Bay, Queer Radio from San Francisco. Let's chat briefly about some of the changes COVID has brought to performance events, the good and the bad. Last year at this time, public venues were essentially closed. All entertainment was online only. It was a drag, no pun intended. But folks got creative. What benefits did we gain? I think because people wanted to uh, connect with other people, especially in the beginning of the pandemic when they were on lockdown and not going out and people who were living alone and uh, people wanted to have some cultural activities as well and everything was closed. So as soon as the pandemic started, I thought, oh, no, there goes my entire career of the last 30 years, everything I've created. And then I learned about Zoom, which I had never known about, and then started performing on Zoom and then started producing the monthly lockdown comedy show. And we were having upwards of 100 to 250 people every month. And I have an audience from all over the country now. We've got people from small towns in Massachusetts. Last year, I had one person in Alaska watching Kung Pao online. And, um, you know, people don't have to deal with parking and traffic and leaving the couch. I think (laughs) that's a big benefit. To get us in the mood, here's a bit of Lisa Gadoldig hosting a Kung Pao kosher comedy show before a live audience a few years ago. Favorite time of year for us Jews, isn't it? Christmas. Uh, I just love it. I just My favorite part is going down to the Hanukkah menorah lots, picking out and cutting down the menorah and bring it back home on my back. And I always have the same trouble every year getting that big candle through the door. I don't know if you can... I'll relate to that. But, you know, I just, I really love Christmas. I mean, I just can't get enough of the music. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I just go into Safeway like 20 times a day just to hear like those nauseating songs over and over. And can you imagine if we played our songs in the stores <laughs> this time of year and everyone would be like, oh, sh- they only have one song. That's Lisa Gadoldig, hosting creator of Kung Pao Kosher Comedy, starting the night off in 2008. Eight minutes or so of that is posted on YouTube, where it's had 23,000 views. So who's performing this year? This year, we have the fabulous lesbian comedian Jessica Kurson from New York and Ophira Eisenberg and my 90-year-old mother Arlene Gadoldig from Florida. My mother, this is a complete silver lining of the pandemic. Not only have I spent almost two years with her, but I've turned my mom into a comedian and she's performing on my monthly lockdown shows as well as on Kung Pao Kosher Comedy and talking about things like uh, having the hots for young firemen who she sees in public at her supermarket and other things I never expected to come out of her mouth. (laughs) So how did this happen to just come out of her? 
You know, I didn't realize how funny my mother was. And one day I just said to her before the first show of Lockdown Comedy, I said, oh, mom, do you want to be a surprise guest on the show? And she said, sure. I didn't realize she was that fearless either. And then she just got in front of the screen. And as soon as she was in front of an audience, she was just so funny. And she was talking about all these things like, you know, being a cougar, or that was my terminology. And then I thought, oh, why don't we have her as the monthly guest? And then uh, one night I announced that she couldn't perform because she wasn't feeling well. And I started getting all these emails and she gets fan mail, you know, and someone said to me one month, you know, I know you have different headliners, but I think your mom is the headliner each month and she loves it. It's just completely unexpected. And she's 90. Ophira Eisenberg, I saw her a few years ago at the in-person Kung Pao Kosher Comedy Show. She was great. I don't know Jessica. Can you say a little bit more about her? She has a prank call album called The Call Girls that she's doing with Rachel Feinstein. She's on comedy shows all over the country, and she's won Best Female Comic by Mac Association in New York City. Uh, she's won Best Stand-Up Comedian. She's very funny. I've known of her for years and haven't had her on the show. Ophir Eisenberg did the show one year, and I just thought that they'd be a brilliant uh, mix together. This event will be obviously not in person this year. It's all virtual, all online. What did people tell you about the experience last year? Everyone loved it. I thought, how are we going to pull this off and translate the in-person experience from the Chinese restaurant where people gather with 10 people at a table and we have Yiddish proverbs and the fortune cookies and blow up dreidels and matzo balls on the stage and Besides having the comedians, we also had some video and we had some motion graphic fortune cookies opening up. They can watch on Zoom or on YouTube Live. And if they watched on Zoom, they could reserve a breakout room beforehand. So family and friends were gathering around the country, around the world. I had friends from college who did this. And so people felt like they had this experience where they were gathering with people, even though it was in front of the screen. And it worked. What is your level of confidence that we'll be able to have an in-person show next year again. We're doing it. I've got my Fauci ouchies, and I think that we're moving in the right direction. I have every intention of doing it in person next year, and hopefully the virus cooperates. Crossing our fingers. When I decided to come out of the closet to my parents 20-something years ago, I thought I would do something very memorable for all of us. And I said, Mom and Dad, I've joined Jews for Jesus. They were like, we're going to write you out of the will. We're going to kill you. How can you do this? We raised you with the Jewish faith. And I said, I'm just kidding. I'm just gay. And they went, oh, thank God. <laughs> and my parents have gotten a little bit too accepting that I feel like going straight just to annoy them. You know? My mom was telling me that she has a friend who has a friend. She has a friend whose daughter is a lesbian and the friend disowned her daughter. Can you imagine? And my mother's like, don't worry, I would never disown you. And I said, I know, I've tried everything. That was Lisa Godoldig, host and creator of Kung Pao Kosher Comedy in 2008. And it gives you a flavor of the show. Kung Pao Kosher Comedy is serving three live Zoom and YouTube shows, culminating on December 26th at 2 p.m. Pacific time. For reservations, check out koshercomedy.com. Producer Lisa Gaduldig appeared with Eric Jansen on Out in the Bay, Queer Radio from San Francisco, outinthebay.org. Christmas time for the Jews. Christmas time for the Jews.
Thanks for choosing This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some program material this week came from Marcos Nahara and Tanya Kane Perry, produced by Brian DeShazer, from Brian DeShazer, and from Eric Jansen. Men at Work, Billy Joel and Darlene Love performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This Way Out thanks the Kicking Assets Fund of the Tides Foundation, the Ivana Foundation, a request from Christopher David Trentum, and donors John Beaupray and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at Post Office Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For coordinating producer Greg Gordon and all of us at This Way Out, I'm Lucia Chappelle. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org and on WRFI Watkins Glen, New York, to MIA Griffith, New South Wales, KZAX Billingham, Washington, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned, y'all.